Well, it's good to be back here at Calvary Church. So we had a wonderful vacation, so thank you for praying for us. Some of you probably know we were able to go back to California. Uh, so we spent some time in Northern California visiting some friends in a church I used to pastor, and that was a wonderful time. And then we made our way down the coast to Santa Barbara for our son's graduation from Westmont. And of course, that was a wonderful time as well. But it's good to be back home. And, uh, and actually, you know, we've only been here six months, but New Jersey feels like home now. So it was really fun to, fun to get back to our place here. Now, of course, as soon as I get back to, to church and get into the office, you know, the Volt crew wants to show me what they did with this room. But they wouldn't let me just walk in to see it. So they had to, like, basically escort me in. They said, now, you got to come in that center door back there. And I felt like, you know, uh, they're going to blindfold me. Is this, like, Restaurant Impossible or something, you know? But, uh, but so I walk in, and it's like, wow, this actually looks like a church. This is great. And so it's uh, so nice, and it seems to be working really well. I hope it has. It's my first time speaking here, so we'll see. It's really loud. But... Okay, let's pray, and we're going to look uh, at Jonah today. Actually, we're going to finish the book. Well, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your grace that, uh, as we sung, just continues to be poured out on our lives. And we remember that day when your grace and mercy flooded our souls, and we knew who Jesus Christ was, and we knew he was our Savior. We pray this morning that you would guide us as we study your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. So like as I mentioned, we're actually in a series on Jonah. I know we haven't been in Jonah in a long time, but it's a short story, and you probably know it fairly well. But we're going to be in chapter 4 today, and just to give you, a, while you're turning there, to give you a, a heads up on what's coming. So next Sunday is actually Pentecost Sunday. It, uh, and I love Pentecost because I was saved on a Pentecost Sunday. And so, uh, so we'll always celebrate it as long as I'm here. And so I'm going to be preaching from uh, John chapter 3 on why you must be born again. So that'll be next Sunday. And then after that, we will begin a series in the gospel according to Luke. And so one of my favorite gospels uh, to go through, and that will be a joy as well. Well, let's think about um, Jonah again. I mean, you know the story pretty well. If you're there in the book, you can sort of flip through. And you remember in chapter 1, you know, Jonah's called to preach, but he doesn't do it. He flees from the Lord. So then in chapter 2, you know, he gets captured by a fish that God appoints, and he gets resent on the mission. And then in chapter 3, he actually obeys, does the mission, preaches great success. But then in chapter 4, uh, he's upset by the outcome of his preaching. And uh, then, of course, eventually, Jonah learned the lesson about God's mercy that God wanted him to learn. And so we have before us, as part of Scripture, the book of Jonah, the book of the prophet Jonah before us. But you know the most puzzling part about the story? It's not how could anybody live in a fish three days. The most puzzling part about the story is actually chapter 4. It's what we're looking at today. It's, it's Jonah's anger. I mean, this is really hard to understand. Why would anybody be angry at God's mercy? So I wonder if there might be some kind of a relationship between Jonah's strange response at the end of the story and our response today at God's mercy when he extends it. Is there something that might even be true for us today in these new realities that we live in the fullness of the gospel in the time of the new covenant. Well, I think there's quite a bit of parallels, actually, quite a number of them. I mean, we're often upset when God shows mercy to our true enemies. Now, not everybody has really intense enemies, but some of us do. Um, and they're often people who've hurt us really, really deeply. 
um, maybe even supposed loved, loved ones, and they've hurt us really deeply, and if it were up to us, we would probably prefer that God just ruin their lives and maybe even send them to hell. We don't want to see them saved through the cross of Christ and have to embrace them as a brother or sister in the Lord. We want them to suffer for what they did. And it sounds awful, doesn't it? But you know, it's not too uncommon in our contemporary situation. And if you're in this category, I'd encourage you to listen to the book of Jonah today and ask you to consider that in your hatred of your enemies, you might actually be despising the mercies of God. But you know, many of us don't have any serious enemies like that. At least no one in this category that we would hate so much that we would deny them the opportunity to understand and believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, you need to know that there's still a wider application uh, to all of us as well. There's the occasional upset we have when God decides to show some temporal mercies to peoples or groups uh, or nations that we don't like. I mean, even in the book of Jonah at the time, I mean, as part of Jonah's problem, you know, they were at war with these people. He didn't want to go talk to them. And then there's the occasional upset, too, when God actually decides to save people or types of people that we really don't like, whether it's our prejudice or whether it's because, you know, we just don't think people should be forgiven for certain types of sins. I mean, it's true that we're often tempted sometimes to not like that the truth of the gospel actually sets people free from their sins. I mean, we might harbor resentment that God would completely forgive them and secretly desire or maybe even speak out that, you know, we'd rather people suffer more for their sins. I mean, could they stay at least a little bit sinful so we have a reason to keep hating them? Some reason they would need to suffer more than Jesus. So I'd ask us all to consider to what degree we might be subject to such attitudes. I mean, we, like Jonah, have, can have our values all mixed up too. And, you know, Jonah was a wonderful, godly, good prophet. And if that can happen to somebody like that, it can happen to us. You know, that, that attitude that Jonah had, that God is always on my side. And uh, he's only going to be for other people if I let him, if I like it that way. You see, Jonah objected to the fact that Nineveh survived and that God was good to them. And Jonah was just dealing with these temporal mercies that God was going to have some mercy on the city for a time. But we're focused on eternal ones. We live at the end of the age, when the time when Jesus, our Messiah, has come and the fullness of revelation is here. And Jonah is looking forward to that time when the kingdom would be in its fullness, the Messiah would come, the new covenant realities would be true. And so this message in the book of Jonah is actually more applicable today with the realities that we live in than it was even back then because we live in the fullness of times when the redemption in Christ is offered to the whole world. So in Jonah 4, God is actually giving us a divine challenge to missions, his mission. It's quite visible in some of the questions. Look at verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? In verse 9. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And at the very end, the book ends with the question, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? 
You see, from the book of Jonah in chapter 4 today, we're going to learn very simply that we're supposed to value people and their salvation as highly as God does. And what makes this a, a divine challenge to missions? It's, it's because when we do value people and their salvation the way God does, then we're going to proclaim the gospel to them, and we're going to give our resources to the proclamation of the gospel. And chapter 4 actually takes us through a learning process so that we come to this point where we do value people like God values them. So I hope we're ready to learn. In verses 1 through 4, we learn that often we claim that our plans with God's mercy are better than God's plans with his mercy. But then in verses 5 to 9, God, in his mercy, shows us our own foolishness. And then finally, in verses 10 and 11, God calls us to accept his plan for greater mercy to all the nations. Again, today we reach the climactic passage in the book of Jonah, where it's all been going. And here in chapter 4, God teaches his church to desire his mercy for the nations, to value people and their salvation as much as he does. So let's begin. Often we claim that our plans for God's mercy are better than his. So we have to back up a little bit to chapter 3, verse 10, that last verse, to remember what actually happened when Jonah got done preaching. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So God spares Nineveh, these enemies of Israel. We don't know the exact timing, you know, whether it was just God made it known to them, okay, I'm going to spare you after that very first day of Jonah's preaching, or if they had to wait out the full 40 days. We don't know for sure. But the people had repented at Jonah's preaching of judgment on the very first day because God had prepared their hearts for it. And then God relented from his judgments that he declared and decided he was going to bestow mercy on them. But Jonah is greatly offended. Now, the English translation that I read for you is nowhere near the intensity of the Hebrew, which it says in our versions that it greatly displeased Jonah, but literally it's Jonah considers this a great evil. Jonah thinks God is evil for showing mercy to the Ninevites. And that's why he becomes so furious so full of burning anger against God because it seems to him that God is doing evil. As irrational as it sounds, it sounds Jonah considers God's actions wrong. And so Jonah's actions are not only like shocking here but, and irrational, but then he prays to God for death in verses 2 and 3. He explains his original flight from his calling because he knew that God might do something like this. He's known for these things. And so Jonah quotes God's self-given creed about his character from Exodus 34, 6, and 7. That's where it says here, you've heard it before, you've read it all throughout the Old Testament. It gets repeated constantly. God is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You know, God's people rejoice at his graciousness and his mercifulness to them. 
You know, in its original context, when God gave this creed about himself, it was after Israel's experience with the golden calf. I mean, that's when God's people worshipped a statue, an idol. And then God forgave them and renewed his covenant with them. And then he gives this creed on his character. How strange that Jonah should overlook God's mercy to his idolatrous people, the Israelites, and begrudge it to others. That's because Jonah viewed God and his gracious character as only for himself and only for people like him, only for the Jewish people. He didn't like God showing kindness to his enemies and especially those that he thought for sure are supposed to be God's enemies as well. Now, at the same time that this is going on in Jonah's mind, I mean, it's the very character of God that led Jonah to believe that he probably God would be sparing Nineveh. Notice that Jonah even inserts the words of the, of the king of Nineveh here and adds it to the end of the description from Exodus 34. Because if you look back in verse 3-9, the king of the city says, who knows, God may turn and relent. And then Jonah picks that up, and you see that it's in there after this statement, God is gracious and merciful, soul to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew God well enough to know that he might express his character toward Nineveh in that way. But Jonah wanted God and his mercy for himself and his people, not for anybody else. He's so angry at God's favor that, you know, even just a little bit, he doesn't want God to favor the Ninevites at all, and he would rather die. Jonah can't stand God and his decisions. He doesn't want to see God's works of mercy in this manner. It's wrong to him. He hates God's merciful ways more than the good that would come to Nineveh. Jonah would rather experience God's wrath in his own death than observe God showing mercy to other people. So God challenges Jonah in verse 4. He doesn't respond to Jonah's request for death. He doesn't kill him. Instead, God is going to change his theology. God is going to change his attitudes and his values. And the question is, do you have good reason to be angry? That's the question. Or another way to put it, are you right in your anger? There's no response from Jonah, it seems. He'll not even consider the idea that he might have it wrong. Instead, he persists in his self-justification. Jonah couldn't come to terms with the fact that God sometimes wants to be merciful to the wicked. Can we? So the divine challenge of mission here is to put this kind of a question to our soul. Do we realize and do we recite Exodus 34, the creed of God's grace and mercy, just for ourselves? If we do, then we don't really know the full meaning of the creed or the God of the creed. We know the history of redemption. I mean, God wouldn't limit himself to saving work just among the Jewish people. It's clearly seen in the book of Jonah. It's a mystery that's going to be unfolded in the history of redemption and the coming of the gospel. And that's what the temporal deliverance of Nineveh stands for. It stands for the eventual eternal salvation of peoples from among all the peoples of the world. In Romans chapter 3, 29, it says, Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Jesus himself in John chapter 12 says, 
if I be lifted up from the earth, speaking about his cross and also speaking about his resurrection, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Now, God's plan would be for the eventual redemption of people from all nations to Jesus Christ. So now the message is to take this gospel to all those unlovely sinners and idolaters of the world. To tell people, to tell the wicked that they could be forgiven. To tell people that you might be disgusted by the way they live their lives, that there is forgiveness and freedom and love in Jesus Christ. So may God force us to come to terms with any selfish or wrong views we might have of God that we would just keep God to ourselves, And show, and may we show the world their God, who is the God of Exodus 34, 6 and 7. To tell people about how gracious God is, how merciful he is, how he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting of calamity. Well, often we claim that our plans are better than God's plans with his own mercy, but yet God in his mercy will show us our foolishness, and that's what happens in the storyline next in verses 5 through 9. God teaches Jonah by means of an acted parable. Verses 5 to 9 then go like this. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, until he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So after Jonah's brief preaching tour, it just took days probably, he goes out to the east side of Nineveh. He wanted to wait and see what God would actually do with Nineveh. I mean, he was probably hoping that this would be a short-lived repentance, and then God would bring his judgment on. In other words, he wanted a really good seat, as one person put it, to see a reenactment of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, that's what he's really hoping would happen to this city. And so he builds this little shelter to maybe wait out the 40-day limit that God had given them. It was very simple, perhaps at first, just some woven branches out of fresh leaves and stuff. But God would give Jonah a taste of his own theology. He would show Jonah the inconsistency of his theology. So I want you to look at your text a minute. God appoints three things. Did you notice that in your English translation? Verse 6, God appointed a plant. Verse 7, God appointed a worm. In verse 8, God appointed a wind to do his will. You know, it's just like the miracle of the fish. If you go back and look at chapter 2, verse 17, and God appointed a fish. So again, all the attempts at natural explanations are just a bunch of fruitless expectations. They're all miracles. That's what's going on in this story. So at first, God appoints a plant to grow up miraculously, you know, like Jack and the Beanstalk style. All of a sudden, there's this huge plant. 
providing shade, and it would be for the purpose to show mercy to Jonah and to deliver him from the hot sun. But God's intention, as you'll see it says in here, was to deliver him from his discomfort, not dissimilar to the way he was delivering Nineveh. We don't know what kind of plant it was. I mean, many people have suggested it's this, uh, a castor oil plant, but whatever. It has large leaves, uh, assumingly, to protect him. And God's work begins. But perhaps we even see it beginning right here, where it says, so that God might deliver him from his discomfort. Well, it's a play on words in the Hebrew, actually. It could be, and God will deliver him from his evil attitude. It's the same word that's used for evil earlier, and it's a play on word throughout the book of Jonah. So God's going to deliver him. He's going to save Jonah from his evil attitude, not just protect him from the sun. Jonah's extremely happy about the plant that God had provided for him. The Lord God met his physical needs. He was able to uh, be refreshed. But then, you know, think about it for a minute. This is great. That's Jonah's kind of religion. Jonah loves mercy for himself and watching judgment on others from a position of comfort. I mean, we're up to Jonah. Jonah wouldn't even want the Ninevites to have a plant. So then the next morning, God appoints a worm or a weevil to eat the plant's roots and it shrivels up immediately. And as the plant came up in a day, so it would go down in a day. That's so that God could greatly afflict Jonah with today's sun because then the next thing he does is he appoints a scorching hot wind along with the sun and this beats down on Jonah's head and literally in the, in the, in the Hebrew it says it attacked Jonah. The sun attacked him. And Jonah becomes so faint from sunstroke and so filled with rage at God that he wants to die again and he begs to die. And again, Jonah prays to God for death but God challenges Jonah and Yet again, we see Jonah persisting. So God repeats his question from verse 4. Do you have good reason to be angry? And this time he adds about the plant. See, God's seeking to correct Jonah and lead him to the point where Jonah will start condemning himself and stop condemning God. After all, can Jonah rightly tell God what to do with this plant? It's God's plant. Jonah is supposed to acknowledge that he has no right to tell God what to do with his mercy either. God reveals himself in the scriptures when he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. But instead, Jonah persists that he's right. He's right in both cases. He's right about Nineveh and he's right about the plant. Jonah says, I have good reason to be death, a good reason to be angry even to death. And the last word of the text is death for emphasis. What Jonah means here either is, I'll be angry till the day I die about this. Or I'm so angry I could just die. Jonah's contention is that God is the one who's being unreasonable. And that's because Jonah is preoccupied with self-vindication rather than knowing God. You know, that's a very common problem today in the church and outside of the church people are preoccupied with vindicating their beliefs vindicating their attitudes vindicating their behaviors rather than knowing God 
and what he says. Well, God is pursuing Jonah to teach him a lesson. He's actually being very patient with him. And a lesson that would be forever for God's people. It'd be an especially appropriate lesson for people like us today who have a greater message to proclaim to the world, the message of Jesus Christ and his salvation. And so again, there's a divine challenge to God's mission here. We might ask ourselves, do we ever sit under the protection of his mercy and wait for God to condemn the world? Think about it for a moment. There really are a lot of Jonahs in the church today. People that sit under the protection of God's mercy and just sort of want to watch God destroy the world. Are we more or less involved or uninvolved in the world with the gospel? We're called to be involved in the world, involved in our community, involved with people around us so that we can teach them about Jesus Christ. So may God truly uh, challenge us to accept his value and his virtue of his mission to engage with it. We don't want to be people that are preoccupied with looking for God's judgment on others, but looking for his salvation on others. That's a better hope. It's a better story if we can see people get saved out of their sin and from the power of it. It's wonderful. So let us value people and their salvation as highly as God does. Well, next in the episode in the book of Jonah, it reaches its climactic conclusion with the ultimate question in verses 10 and 11. God calls us here to accept his plans for a greater mercy. And so we got a couple lessons. We have God's plant lesson in verse 10, and then we have God's people lesson in verse 11. So there's the plant lesson that comes out in verse 10 right away. We read it. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So what's the lesson about the plant? It's a pretty simple lesson, really. It's God's plant. It's not Jonah's plant. The Lord God grew the plant, and he destroyed the plant in a day. Jonah had nothing to do with God's work with the plant, other than benefit from God's mercy through the plant. Well, the lesson continues. It's not that hard to make the connections. Jonah has compassion on a plant, but not on people. That's ridiculous. Now, of course, he doesn't even really have compassion on the plant per se. It's only to show the reality that Jonah only has compassion on himself. He's not crying for the plant, he's crying for himself. Well, then there's the people lesson in verse 11. The people of Nineveh, they're God's people, not Jonah's people, right? The Lord God created them, he oversees them, he decides their destiny, not Jonah. And the Lord God's merciful compassion here is contrasted with Jonah's in the transition. I want you to look at that and see it. Some translations are better than others, but there's this real strong emphasis at the beginning in verse 10 where it says, you, God speaking to Jonah, you pity the plant. But as for me, I pity the people. 
It's an intended contrast for us to see the absurdity of Jonah's perspective and to learn to adopt God's perspective. I mean, you compare God's merciful compassion on Nineveh with Jonah's upon the plant. You can look at, you know, what's of greater value? Tons of animals and people or a plant? People and animals are more important than plants. And then you think about the numbers. You know, why does God even add much cattle? It's because of the contrast that's being drawn. It's 120,000 people in the city, and there's a lot of cattle. God's concerned about all that. What's Jonah concerned about? One thing. The plant. No, wait. Himself. That's all he's concerned about. What's exposed then in the book of Jonah is what we would call trivial religion. Jonah's religion is very trivial here. He expected to have the full enjoyment of the God-given gift of the plant at the expense of the people. Like, what's wrong with this guy? I mean, does Jonah have no compassion at all? These people are ignorant of the true God and his revelation. Shouldn't God have compassion on these people he's made, even if he's just going to spare them this one time? God is declaring that what he has done in sparing Nineveh is right. He created the Ninevites, and he can have mercy on them if he wants to. He's right. Should I not have compassion? And so the divine challenge then of mission comes in this passage because the book ends with a question. It was a question for Jonah and a question that Jonah eventually answered correctly. We have to remember that too. The story doesn't obviously end here. Jonah gets it right. And so we have the book of Jonah to help correct similar problems that we might have in the church today. So now the question is being posed to all of God's people who would, who would eventually read the book. And it's especially relevant now that we have the New Testament to help us understand where all these stories are going and how they're pointing forward to the, to the coming of Jesus Christ and this better message that we have to tell the world. And so we want to put this kind of a question to our own soul too. Does our Christianity contain a greater concern for ourselves than for others? I mean, if it does, then we have a trivial Christianity, not a substantial one, not a biblical one. You know, so there are probably a lot of ways you could talk about trivial Christianity. This is a few ways I would talk about it. It's enjoying the blessings of God for ourselves alone or predominantly, not wanting to share them. I mean, that's what we read in the book of Jonah. Another mark of trivial Christianity would be getting angry at God when his blessings in our life are not enough blessings. And we want more. Trivial Christianity is, is looking on the lost peoples of the world who are destined to go to hell and die in their sin from a position of comfort and a position of already being saved, and yet somehow we're unmoved. And we might say things like, well, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what those people do over there. And they're going to die, and that's fine. What about God's plan for mercy for the nations in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we have the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I mean, it couldn't be any clearer on what our job is as a church. It's like the simplest thing in the world is our mission, is to go tell people about Jesus Christ. 
So do we rejoice in God's plan and devote our energies and our prayers and our resources, even our people, not, not only to ourselves so we can just have a nice church life? So many churches are stuck in that rut. But do we want to devote our energies and our efforts to going beyond ourselves and to actually reaching the world with the gospel? May God grant us his view of people, his view of the world, for his salvation to go out, for his son, Jesus Christ, to be glorified and praised on the lips of people from all peoples of the world. We want to keep moving forward with a substantial Christianity, and we want to cast off any kinds of trivialities that might have a place in our heart and ask the Holy Spirit to remove those things so that we can value people and salvation the way God does. Well, we've learned today that the truth that we can all really become like Jonah. You know, sometimes it's easy to read these kinds of stories and think, oh, yeah, you know, what a jerk. I would never have been like that. But, you know, Jonah was a good, godly, intelligent prophet of God. And it happened to him. Well, we're not exempt from those kind of attitudes, applying God's grace and mercy and all of who he is to just our own lives. Desiring that God judge our enemies more than save them. Or we want to just live out our lives playing a petty church life rather than being devoted to larger purposes. We've also learned today the truth that we really can learn the lesson that Jonah learned. And we can be freed from these attitudes if we have them. I know that not everyone has them here today. But God is patient with us. And he's willing to teach us and teach us through the book of Jonah. We can accept the challenge here to come to value people and their salvation as highly, God, as highly as God does. And of course, we need God's grace to continually change and grow in every area of our life. We constantly need to be growing. Now, I don't normally read quotations from commentaries because they're usually long and boring, but this one today I thought was very interesting, so I'm going to read it to you from Alan's commentary. But Because he does a really good job of summarizing the message of the book of Jonah. I'll just read it for you. He says, A Jonah lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. He that has ears to hear, let him hear and allow the saving love of God, which has been outpoured in his own heart, to remold his thinking and social orientation. It's a beautiful summary of the book of Jonah. And what he advises is something I think we should constantly be doing, and that's allowing the love of God in Christ, that we've already experienced it because we put our faith in him, to continually remold us, to remold the way we think and the way we have in our attitudes and our behaviors. We can always benefit from more renewal of our minds and spirits. So let's remember that we've received the fullness of revelation, the redemption in Christ. We've experienced the grace and love of mercy of God for salvation from him. And we have a greater and more glorious message than Jonah had to preach. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord God, we thank you so much for your scriptures that you have written through the Holy Spirit and through your prophets that you have preserved through the centuries for your people to constantly teach us about who you are in all of your greatness and your glory that far surpasses what we can conceive. 
your scriptures which teach us about who you are and who we really are and how it is by your mercy and through the power of the the Holy Spirit that becomes ours through Christ, we get transformed. And we pray that you would continually be remaking us and causing us to value people and their salvation as highly as you do. We know we've received the fullness of revelation in our time through Jesus Christ and the New Testament that we have. We have a much greater and glorious message. And I pray that you would capture our hearts and minds with the greatness of the message we have to proclaim. And then give us the love for the people who really need to hear it that we would actually go and speak to them about salvation in Christ. And we pray these things for Jesus' glory. Amen.